Well, that was fun. And it is exciting that this has been seven years. Can you believe it? And I'm just looking forward to the next seven to see what God's going to do in this place and in our church. Let's uh, bow our hearts and begin with prayer. Father, thank you for the family that you have given us that we call Trinity. Thank you for the multiplication that we're seeing in our church. Thank you for what you've done in this place. And as we talk today about, about a very important topic of risk, would you show us how to, how to accurately look at risk and reward and to be risk takers for you? Father, uh, may you shape our hearts and minds and our actions today through your word. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Well, let's just do a quick review of some of the things we've been talking about. Well, the first week we talked about, well, you know, we're a growing church and we're in four locations. Wait a minute. What's going on? We're in 17, 18, 22 locations. Wait a minute. What's going on? Actually, that's true. We don't just have four locations. We have now over 40 small groups who are meeting all around the suburbs as a part of This Is Us. In the first week, we talked about being a growing church. That's what God is calling us to. And who knows in those groups who is the next site pastor or children's director or whatever it might be. God is calling us to a mission. And that's one of the things that it means to be a part of our family. It's always been that way since I've been here, since Susan and I came over 30 years ago. In week two, we heard from Mark, and he said, look, God is guiding and directing us through the power of the Spirit. He's giving us direction. And so we not only are multiplying church, we're listening to God. We don't have to worry about our plans. We just lay everything before God, and he guides, and he directs, and he shows us, he shows us what to do. And last week, we heard from Tony, and he's talking about God and his miracles, because God still does miracles. He not only speaks to us, he does miracles. And, and you know what? You guys were part of a miracle, and you don't even know it yet. Uh, you want to hear that story? Okay, so last week I asked you guys to pray, right? At the beginning of the service, you remember, I, asked, I said, pray for four volunteers for Treasure House in our Kid Street ministry. Guess what? We got all four. Huh? We can applaud that. I think that's good. Now, if, if you don't think that's a miracle, you've just never done any work in children's ministry before. I'm just telling you. <laughs> That's a miracle. That, that rates right up with the healing of the layman. I'm telling you, that was a big deal. Okay, so God still does miracles, and we expect him to, and we know he will, especially because we're on mission, because miracles serve mission. But i got to tell you, it's great to have all that good stuff happening in the church, but as we learned throughout the month of September, there's going to be opposition. Because the kingdom of darkness does not want us to make progress as the kingdom of light. Do you understand that? We're, we're still facing spiritual warfare. And when we do, it's going to be risky. And we need to talk about how do we assess and take risks as Christians. So are you a risk taker? That's the question. Are you a risk taker? And you probably thought as you took the poll, you probably said, well, wait, you know, I don't, how do I answer that? Right? I mean, how do you assess should you or should you not take a risk? How does that work in the life of a Christian? Let's just see if we can get the results of the poll up and uh, see where we ended up. Look at that. 55% of us are risk takers, 45 are not. And of course, it's a little bit of a trick question, isn't it? Because I didn't give you any details. I just asked specifically, are you a risk taker? And that's really about where it's ended up, every service so far, and even the stuff that I did online, if you participated in that. It's about half and half. We as Christians have to wrestle with the idea of risk. 
because the business that we're in, the mission that we're on, contains risk, and we have to know how to properly assess it and decide whether or not we'll take it because the mission is important. It's called the risk-reward equation, and you do it all the time in life. We all take risks, you know. You couldn't go on vacation and fly someplace without taking risks. You couldn't even go to work and get in your car. You couldn't buy a house and collect a lot of stuff without some risk because somebody might want to take it. You couldn't be in a relationship without risk. We all do this all the time, but when it comes to our faith, sometimes we're not thinking exactly clearly about the risk and reward, and that's what we want to do today. We have to understand that risk takers should always consider the reward. And here's our, well, there's two ways to to make a mess of this. There's two ways to look at risk wrongly. Let's look at the first one. Here's one of the challenges we have. Sometimes we overestimate the reward and underestimate the risk. Ever done that? Yeah, well, let's watch this video. I wasted a lot of time on YouTube watching stuff like this. Oh, jeez. <laughs> yeah, really? What in the world would these people be thinking the reward would be? That one's the one that gets me the most. I mean, really? A few extra clicks on YouTube? Are you kidding me? They're doing that kind of stuff? And yet, I'll watch that for hours. I don't know about you. You guys ever huh? find yourself your whole morning shot, right? Because stuff like that, it happens. Okay, you know, like when I was a kid, I was kind of of a... A risk taker. I remember once uh, I had a friend with a 1967 lime green Mustang. And one day we decided we'd get into it and just see how fast it would really go, right? The kids do not do this, okay? If you're listening to Pastor Dan, this is not good, okay? And we found out it would go 120 miles an hour, really. And about 100 miles an hour, I realized how stupid I was as I was holding on for dear life. But something happens when it comes to our faith. And it's generally not that problem of, you know, underestimating risk and overestimating reward. It's exactly the opposite. We tend to overestimate risk and underestimate reward. And that's the question we have to realize, uh, talk about today. Are we doing that? Are we doing that? Do we really understand the risk involved? And do we understand, do we appreciate, do we comprehend the rewards? Last week, as Tony was talking about and uh, working with us in that miracle passage in Acts chapter 3, we saw Peter and John do something very risky. Peter reaches out to a lame man, grabs him, and he says, stand and walk in the name of Jesus of Nazareth. Was that a risk? Would you take it? Would you do it? Have you ever seen a lame man? I would guess. I would guess that many of us would not take that risk. I mean, would you, would you pray for healing with someone? Would you pray with someone about anything? You see, sometimes we, we go, whoa, wait a minute, I don't know, that I, would I say the right words, or would I get it right, or am I going to do something wrong or something? We, you know, wait a minute, what's the, what's the reward? What would the layman say about the reward as he walks? Are we overestimating Risk and underestimating reward. Let's look at a story to help us try to sort this out. We're going to continue with Peter and John's story in Acts chapter 4. Now, this event happened, and then this guy was healed, and he was walking around Jerusalem, and Peter and John were still preaching in Jerusalem. It was, it was really awesome. It created quite a buzz. 
And this is where the first chapter of Acts 4, we're going to look through 22 verses here very quickly. There's a, some notes in your sermon notes card if you'd like to follow along. It begins like this. The priests and captains of the temple guard and Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. So guess what? The buzz is still happening. People are still gathering. Peter and John are still preaching. People are being saved. Wow. There's a lot more to a healing than just the lame man. The word of God is working and miracles are being done. But do you think Peter and John felt like this was a risk? I think they did. Do you know who these guys were? These were the very, the very people who rigged Jesus' trial and arranged for his crucifixion. Now, all of a sudden, this is risky business. The gospel becomes risky business because now they're facing the same people that sentenced Jesus to death, arranged his trial, and made sure that he died on a cross. Pretty interesting, isn't it? Why were they so disturbed? Why were they so dangerous to Peter and John? Well, here's what, here's what, here's what the problem was for these guys. They were disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people. That shouldn't have been because they were not rabbis. And only rabbis, only people with authority taught. These were common, uneducated men. And how often do we say, well, I couldn't tell somebody about Jesus because I don't know enough. But not these guys. They were, they were taking the risk. And, and they were not only taking the risk to teach, but they were teaching them, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. That was a very controversial idea especially for the Sadducees, because they didn't believe in the resurrection. The Sadducees did not believe that you could rise from the dead. That's why they were sad, you see. Okay, I know that's an old joke, but you've got to remember it. All right? But they were upset. They were really upset with the disciples because they were teaching something that they didn't believe in. And they said, we've got to do something about this. And so they threw them in jail. Think about a night in jail because you're preaching the faith. Sentenced and put there by the very people that arranged for Jesus' death. How would you feel? They were there, and uh, it's interesting because the formula here, if you want to talk about church growth, you know, there are miracles and the word of God is preached and lots of people come to faith. That's what was going on. And the Sadducees and the religious council of the day knew what that meant because the very thing that they had taught about God was being proved to be incorrect and wrong and untrue. 5,000 men and many more families, wives and children, came to faith as a result of what was going on and their preaching. The risk versus the reward. Even if they would die, think about the people that would now have eternal life. Just think about the risk and the reward. Well... So the council gets together. The elders and teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there as Caiaphas and a couple of other priests we don't really know much about. The whole group was there. And they assembled and and they gathered together to figure out how can we shut these guys down because they they need to be shut up. We don't want this message in Jerusalem. It's too threatening. So they brought Peter and John before them, and they began to question them. They said, by what power or what name did you do this? Now, I want you to just think for a minute. By what power or what name is the question? And Peter is standing before the high priest. 
rewind the story. Let's go back to the night that Jesus was betrayed. And, and he, was, he was arrested and taken. Where? What was the first stop on that evening of trials? The high priests. In fact, these two guys. And as Jesus is interrogated on the inside of their house, where is Peter? He's outside. He's right outside around a fire pit. And a young girl comes up and says, you were with him. And Peter's reply is, I don't know him. I don't know him. Three times he denied knowing Jesus. And now he's in front of the very people that were interrogating Jesus. And and he's asking, they're asking, did you know him? Who who is this guy that did these things? What's Peter's reaction? How does he respond? Look at this. It says, then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, all through the book of Acts, we read about filling of the Holy Spirit. We have the Spirit as believers. But when we take risks, we step out, he fills us up even more. Peter's filled. You read about it in Acts 3 and 4 and 9 and 13, that filling of the Spirit. And he says to them, rulers and elders of the people. He's going to give them a message. He's going to answer clearly. Although I know the Sadducees knew in whose name this was done. It was a hypothetical, a rhetorical question to test their allegiance to Christ so they could determine the next step of punishment. And he goes on and Peter says, he says, look, if we're being called to account for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and we are now being asked how he was healed, then you, then then know this, you and all the people of Israel. Of course, that's not why they were being interrogated. We understand that. But he says, if that's the reason, let me tell you the reason. And he's going to give them more. Peter's going to give them more than they bargained for. This is what he says. It's by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. And so now the resurrection is thrown right back into the face of the Sadducees who don't believe. They don't believe in it. And they say, wait a minute. He's speaking heresy. That's a risk. When a ruling council can sentence you to death, that is a risk. He goes on and he says, Jesus is the stone you builders rejected which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else. There is no other name under heaven given to mankind which we must be saved. And I love that cornerstone image because it says, you know, look, you, know, you want a true house, you want one that has level walls, the true walls, and can stand and is sturdy and strong. Jesus needs to be your cornerstone. And he's saying to the Sadducees, your house is crooked. It's untrue. It's going to fall on its own weight. I love that. He's talking to people that could put him to death, and he doesn't care. He's taking the risk. Why? Look at the reward. Look at the reward. Continues, and when you look at the words that he used, as you continue to look at those words, you see that he used this word healed. I put it in blue, that the layman was now healed. That Greek word is sozos. It's sozos. It means healed physically. But I want you to know that this word down here, saved, is also the same word. Salvation and healing in the New Testament are the same word. And is it any wonder that we have a 
of a miracle of a healing of a lame man to illustrate the healing that we all need of our souls. There's a connection. God's grace has power over sin and all its impact. Well, the response by that council, they said they saw the courage of Peter and John. They realized they were unschooled, ordinary men, and they were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. People look at your life, would they take note and say, you've been with Jesus? Would they be able to tell? It's important that we spend time with Jesus because he's the one that gives us the authority. He's the one that gives us the miracle that we need, the information that we need, the boldness that we need. We need to take the risk so that people can know that we've been with Jesus. And the disciples, they were deniers. They became risk-taking disciples. Isn't that cool? Changed them, made them bold, unstoppable Christians. They weren't going to stop at anything. They didn't care what the risk was because they understood the reward. Well, so now what are they going to do? The council's kind of like, well, what do we do now? Because this lame man, is healed. he's standing right there with them. They couldn't deny the healing. And they, so they were ordered to withdraw Peter and John from the council, from the Sanhedrin, And they conferred together, what are we going to do with these men? What are we going to do with these Christians? What are we going to do with these followers of Christ? They're unstoppable because they're so bold and they're telling the truth and God's doing miracles through them. What are we going to do with them? So everyone in living in Jerusalem knows they've performed a notable sign and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we, we must warn them to speak no longer to anyone in his name. Shut them up. Quiet them down. Gag rule. We cannot let these people speak. They have a message that's like today when you proclaim that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through him. It is at time looked at as hate speech. It's not, but that's the way people look at it. And that's the way they saw it. Shut them up. You can't say that. Even if it's true, you can't say that. Really? You can't shut up these risk takers. They called them again. They called them in to talk to them. They commanded them not to speak at all in the name of Jesus. But they knew Jesus. They had been with Jesus. And they said, but Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. We will not shut up. We cannot shut up. We will continue to preach this truth of a one way to salvation, a resurrected life through Jesus Christ. That's it. We're not stopping. So they let them, they threatened them and they let them go. They couldn't decide what to do with them because, well, the boldness of the disciples and the power of God is unstoppable. What do you say in that situation? And, and they even counted, Peter and John, they counted themselves lucky that, that, they would be, um, that they would be persecuted for this. Just amazing. But it wasn't, this wasn't, there, there wasn't, this wasn't the last moment of, of problems between the disciples and this council. Chapter 5, we see them, they're arrested again, thrown in jail, miraculously released and, and look, there it is, counted worthy. Uh, they, they were rejoicing because they were counting worthy of, being, of suffering disgrace for the name. 
And they say day after day in the temple courts and from house to house. They never stop teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah that he saves. Boldly, risk-taking, disciples of Jesus. I'm not backing down. Right? Are you with me? going to back down because I understand the reward are you going to back down or are you going to take the risk that's the question and so we learn some things looking at the story the gospel is risky business we know that the greater the risk the greater the reward taking gospel risk is evidence that you've been with Jesus Right? Because once you're with him and he changes your heart, you can't help it because you know it's true, you know it's real, you know it's right. Taking gospel risks will only make you bolder because God shows up in a major way. You're, you're empowered by his spirit and when you take that risk and you realize God is there, you're just going to get bolder every time. What I want you to realize as we, as we talk about risk today is that God is calling us to be risk takers. That he's equipped us with the gospel, this relationship between gospel and risk, says that we now are equipped to take risk. Why? Because we understand the reward. The incredible reward for us personally and for the purpose of the gospel. And it drives us as Christians to take risks. Now, when I think of this, I always think of the people around the world who are being persecuted for their faith. And certainly that's true. In fact, I would encourage you to read more about their stories at this website, I Commit to Pray. I mean, people lose their lives every day. Did you know that? For their faith in Christ. They're put to death and they don't care because they know Paul's words. He says to live as Christ, to die as gain. They give their life willingly so that the gospel can be proclaimed. But I'm guessing here in DuPage County, that's never going to happen to any of us. Aren't you glad? Amen? Yeah. But do we face risk? Let's just talk about that for a minute. First of all, you know, we take risks when we open up sites, right? When we have new worship sites, we take risks. That's a risk because it takes a lot of resources to do it. But what about just the idea of a conversation? Is that risky for you to have a conversation about your faith? What about, a, what about serve or coming to worship? Just come, showing up for worship. I want you to look around and see how many chairs are empty this morning. Why? Because people have prioritized life above this gathering of believers in Christ. They've said, eh, really? What could be more important? There's the idea of serving and volunteering. You know, the idea that we as, we as Christians are called to serve and people say, no, I don't have time for that. I can't take that risk. I can't, I, can't, I can't do less of something else that I feel is important so that I can serve the cause of the gospel. That's a risk when people step up and serve. And thankfully, we have lots of people that do that, but there's a lot of people who don't serve. What about finances? Rearranging your financial life around this idea. What about small groups? Lots of people say they want to grow in their faith, but they won't take the risk to be in small groups. What about leading? 
being a leader, and putting your life and holding your, you know, being held accountable to certain behaviors so you can lead others to Christ. You see, there's a lot of risks that we face as Christians, aren't there? And we have to do this risk-reward analysis all the time if we're going to be a church that multiplies. In fact, what I just did, these are our values. Worship, connect, serve, lead, accountability, generosity, sharing of faith. These are our values as a family we're going to be studying in the rest of this series. They're all risky in today's world. But I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you to take that risk. Just share with you a quick story of a guy who, who shared risk. I mean, he took a risk. How many of you guys know this guy, Penn Jillette? You ever hear of him? He's a magician in Vegas, famous guy. He's an atheist. Look at his quote. He says, there are some fundamental differences between God and a rock. First of all, a rock really exists. He blogs, he video, he podcasts stuff all the time against Christianity. And a Christian came one day to his show and was involved in the show, and he, he came back the next day, and he said to Penn, he said, I need to talk to you. He waited till everybody cleared out after the show, and he stood over in the side, and Penn saw him there, and he's like, okay, this guy wants to talk to me. You just tell he's in the hover position, as he calls it. And he walks up to him and he says, I want to give you a Bible. I want to give you a Bible. Now think about that, an atheist star. And the guy says, God is calling me. He's speaking to me. And the question that he, he puts on a video and he really discusses is, should Christians be proselytizing? That means, you know, taking risks to share faith. Should they be doing that? And just, just watch about a minute of his response. It was really wonderful. I believe he knew that I was an atheist, but he was not uh, defensive, and he looked me right in the eyes, and he was truly complimentary. It wasn't in any way, it didn't seem like empty flattery. He was really kind and nice and sane and looked me in the eyes and talked to me and then gave me this Bible. How much do you have to hate somebody to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? I mean, if I believed beyond a shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe it, that truck was bearing down on you, there's a certain point where I tackle you. And this is more important than that. And I've always thought that, and I've written about that, and I've thought of it conceptually. I know there's no God, and one polite person living his life right doesn't change that. Uh, but I'll tell you, he was a very, very, very good man. I have no idea whether he'll ever come to faith, but do you think that he had, this guy had an impact on him just by his reaction? His mind was spinning at that point. It's all we're called to do. We're not responsible for the final outcome, but we are responsible to take the risk to communicate the gospel and it's going to be in words, quite frankly. We need to learn to speak it, not just act it. But certainly acting, you know, acting and being kind and nice is important, as you saw. And I thought Penn had a pretty profound point, you know. It's like, okay, so how much do you have to hate someone to believe everlasting life is possible and not tell them about it? I never thought of it like that. It kind of convicted me. 
I mean, why would we be silent if we have the answer to that question of eternal life? Pretty important that we take the risk, the gospel risk. And as I want to frame it up for you this week to challenge you to do some things this week, one thing in particular, and then we'll see where God leads you. I want you to think about the term gospel risk and the definition I've got on the screen. Simply taking personal risk to bring gospel to every relationship. That's what we want to do. Every relationship. Now, which ones? How does it work? When? That's God's business. We're going to rely on his spirit to guide us, right? But the first relationship that is is important is it makes sure that you've been with Jesus. Because it's possible to come and sit here week after week after week and never be with Jesus. It's possible to hold him off and put him, as somebody said this morning, in, in your back pocket and just kind of keep him there for reserve. That's not what being with Jesus is all about. The first risk that we have to take is to make sure that we're spending time with Jesus, reading his word, praying. If you need help with that, let me know. The second relationships are that we need to really be concerned with are right here in this family, people who know Christ. Because one of the ways we communicate the gospel is we continue to communicate it to one another. But of course, the third way and final way is that there's a whole world around you There's family and friends and people in the workplace that need to know the gospel. And it's our risk to take, to reach out with our hand and say, be healed. Maybe not physically, but spiritually in the name of Jesus of Nazareth. That's our job as Christians. That's our risk to take. And the rewards are great, as we've seen. So would you pray this week? that God would let you, lead you to a risky conversation, understanding it's really not all that risky because God is going to show up and equip you and empower you for that. And then if you can, if you get a story, share it with us on Facebook or email me or whatever. It's so important that we learn to take risks. You know, when uh, my youngest daughter was about five years old, we were at Navy Pier together, thousands of people around. And, uh, you know, we were doing things, and all of a sudden, we look around, and we couldn't find her. She's gone. Susan thought she was with me. I thought she was with Susan, and she was gone. In that moment, can you imagine my fear and terror in my heart as my child was lost? What would I do in that moment? How bold would I have been? Who would I have not talked to? I would have gotten on the PA system at Navy Pier if necessary. I would have done whatever it took. I would have taken any risk to find her. I'm sure that that's what God wants for us because his children are lost. He's given us the job to take the risk to find them. Now, fortunately, we found her very, very calmly looking at trinkets in some souvenir shop, you know. At that point, you don't want to overreact, right, you know. She's safe. But there are a lot of people who won't be. They'll never know the answer to eternal life, and they won't experience it. Take a risk this week. Let's pray. Father, thank you for... A church that takes risk and the encouragement to take risk to communicate the gospel, the most important words that people can hear. And we pray 
today, that you would make us risk takers, that we would look at this situation every day, that we'd be available for your use, Lord, and that we would take the risk to open our mouths and our lives to people who don't know you. And if today, Father, there is anyone who still needs to spend time with you, who needs to know you and your love and grace, as so many of us do and have enjoyed for so many years, if there's anyone here for that, with that need, I pray that you'd minister to them now and make them bold. Have them take a risk to talk about it with me or with one of the other folks here, the prayer partners. Uh, just, Father, let them take the risk to be with you. Father, thank you for our time in the Word, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.